Hey, what's up? It's Tom, and this is an extra special edition of Write You a Song, our normal guest for December. It's still out there, still online, still ready for you to listen to if you haven't yet, is Adam Hambrick. But a couple of days after talking to Adam, I had a chance to talk to Granger Smith. And at first I thought we were just going to be talking about his new album, Country Things, Volumes 1 and 2, 16 songs. Figured that'd take maybe 10, 15 minutes. But as I talked to Granger, it immediately became apparent that he is a lot more than just that good old boy, Earl Dibbles Jr., yee-yee apparel guy uh, image that, that he projects. He's thoughtful. He's insightful. He's incredibly creative from a very early age. And he's dealt with some difficulties, some challenges, and heartbreak that nobody should ever have to face. So we ended up talking for about a half an hour. I've got some music in here, too. And I just wanted to share so you could hear maybe a different side of an artist that you probably know fairly well from songs like If the Boot Fits, Happens Like That, You're In It. But here now, Granger Smith on this special extra edition of Write You a Song. Well, thank you for doing this. And congratulations on the release of uh, Country Things Volume 2. I listened to Volume 1. I had to drive my wife up to Washington from here uh, to take care of her, her folks. So I drove her up, and on the way back, I listened to your album, I don't know, probably from Portland to the California border. How did it do in that environment? That's always a question. You know, that's a great point, because an album, the, the best kind of listening experiences, at least for me as a music geek, is when like your situation matches the music. And so much of, of that drive, even though it's I-5 and you go through some fairly good-sized towns, a lot of it is very, very rural. And it, very country. And it just, the whole thing was, it was very, to use a, a, a new agey term, it was very synergistic. <laughs> That's always um, such a challenge as a music maker, because you want to be able to, to match that environment. And you can't, you can control the music, but you can't control where someone is when they hear it. Which is, you know, why live live concerts are so important in us trying to manipulate what our stage looks like and what the lights look like and and what you experience when you feel that uh, in 2020 when we haven't been able to control any of that. Um, mm -hmm. It's it's tough because you you work so hard on something and you just hope that the first time they hear a song isn't with their phone up to their ear, you know, in, in a grocery store line or something you know you just hope you hope that they're like you and you're driving down in southern oregon you know with the windows down no to, to me like the greatest you know production room in the world is your vehicle and and road trips and i don't know you know how there are so many songs that uh bring me back to specific moments not necessarily in my life but that's true too but on the road you know like uh Took a vacation this summer up to uh, Eastern Washington, and we listened to Ashley McBride's new album. And now, whenever I hear one of her songs, bam, I'm transported right back to you know driving up the the highway through Central Oregon, and uh, and again, very rural place. And it just and there's so many like thousands, it seems like, of of memories uh, uh, like that associated with music. But as a writer, as an artist, as a singer, you. you you talk about you, you want to be able to control, but you absolutely can't. So you just have to write what you can write and then sort of uh, rely on the listener to kind of fill in the rest. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. And it's, you know, a lot of it's luck. You try to get the song into as many hands as possible so that you could luck into enough chances where someone is celebrating a birthday or a 
divorce or a new relationship or a first dance or a, or a high school graduation or a, a Friday night after a long week of work. You try to just pinpoint these moments in someone's life where they listen to a song and forever they'll associate that song with, man, I remember I used to listen to that song when I was working at so-and-so job and I was, mm-hmm. it was, a, it was working hard days and then I would get off and I would get a beer and listen to this song. And that's, that's all you could hope for is those kind of moments. Yeah. And that's another dimension to songs and, and uh, this songwriting podcast that you're being interviewed for. I've talked to so many songwriters. Um, you know, one of the things that we talk about, like from my perspective, the reason I put this thing together is because I've always loved songwriting. That to me has always been how I've known that there are other people out there who felt the way I did, whether it was up, down, in between. Um, and, and, you know, for me, it's, it's always kind of been uh, about emotion a lot, but you're talking about another dimension that is every bit as special. And that is taking you back to a particular moment. And a song doesn't even necessarily have to, you know, it's somebody's birthday weekend, but the song doesn't have to have anything to do with a birthday. It just, it might be the song that was the soundtrack that weekend. And forever, when you hear that song pop up on the radio, bam, you're right there with your family and, and everything going on and the, the, and the fun and the joy. And it just, it's amazing how emotion uh, is, is connected musically within us. Yeah, you're so right. And that is, that's why we literally rely so much on radio still and we that that moment of surprise where it just happened to be the song that was the anthem of your bachelor party or like i said there's a million scenarios and it takes the first time and then after that you're good because you could just remember that song and you could you could remember when you took that trip to the beach for your bachelor party or Mm -hmm. whatever it might be um I want to start off. I mean, you have a lot of irons in a lot of different fires. You've got your apparel company. You've got your YouTube series. You've written a book. You've got an alter ego. Uh, that's almost like a, a, a comedy career parallel to your music career. You are obviously a guy who needs creative outlets. Um, what were you like as a kid? What was your imagination like as a kid? Hmm. Yeah, I I could remember um to kind of parallel that thought it's i remember i would enter as many creative contests as in elementary school as i could and that would be poetry contest um or art contest um in inventing uh you know contest and i could remember i would i would get so wrapped up in that stuff that I would, I could remember one time I actually got in trouble in an art contest because I entered it four times using a different name each time. And <laughs> was, that the start, won. was that the start of Earl Dibbles Jr.? Maybe at some level, <laughs> but I remember, and maybe it was because not that many people entered, but I'll, I won't give myself any credit for that. But I remember getting first prize, second prize, and third prize. And then they found out, they found out that it was the same person and they disqualified all three of them. And I was just heartbroken that I lost, uh, I didn't even get a single ribbon because I had, I had impersonated a fake human. Oh my God, that is a great story. <laughs> but it also, it shows the drive, man. And, and that's something that uh, you just kind of getting ready for this interview is very apparent with you. You are kind of a pedal of the metal guy when it comes to 
just achieving success, not only in, in your music life, but your personal life and not success is, you know, it's defined by society, but you, and you talk a lot about this, it's success as how you define it. And, and that's another thing that's cool about you. You've got like, you know, this great music career and you've got this good old boy kind of image, but you're still waters run deep. Yeah. Well, thank you. That means a lot. And I'm glad that you, uh, not many people can catch that whenever they start throwing around the term success, they could just kind of toss that around and not many people step back and realize that success is defined and according to the person that's, that's getting that kind of merit. And, and it doesn't always, it usually doesn't mean, uh, some kind of success from your business. Um, that's where we go to first in our minds. Congratulations on all the success you're talking about business, but, but real, real tangible life success, like the kind that you talk about it at someone's eulogy when you're at their funeral, there's di very different than, than talking about the monetary success of a career. So I'm, I'm glad that you definitely made that distinction. Um, talk about, you have a, phrase gratefulness versus expectations you kind of just touched on it but elaborate on that a little bit more yeah it's the thought that expectations are such a great a great motivator for for your drive you want to you want to expect to to win at at life in so many so many ways but it also that becomes the one thing that really hurts your self-esteem when you don't make those kind of expectations and so what do you do? What do you do when you, when you have high expectations in life and you don't quite achieve it, then you, how do you deal with that overwhelming disappointment? And, and for me, the key to it is, is having gratefulness that's higher than your expectation. At whatever level your expectations are, you keep your gratefulness a little bit higher and keep that, it, it, that, that ration always in life. And so and we've seen that, like, for, for instance, touring is always a great example of this. But our best shows of any year is always the times when we didn't expect it was going to be an incredible show. And mm -hmm. this, the, the ones that we expect are going to be incredible shows usually aren't even in the top five of the year. So we'll look at a calendar and we'll go, oh, wow, that look at that festival in June in Florida on the beach. And it's got a lot of people. That is, oh, there it is right there, guys. That's the number one show of the year. I could already <laughs> tell you that's going to be it. And then you get there and it's, it's hot and, and it's, the stage is smaller than we thought and, and we're having technical problems and we walk away and we say, God, I'm glad that was done. But you Man, flip I, it and you say, and you didn't expect anything from it. Then instead you walk away and you go, wow, we're on the beach in Florida, guys. I didn't even think we were going to be here this week. This is amazing. <laughs> I, I can relate to that so much on, on a, a much smaller level, just with radio and the morning show that we do. And man, there are mornings where we go in and we think we are loaded for bear and it's just and then there are mornings where we come in and we're like kind of disheveled and scrambling. We don't really. And those sometimes are the absolute best shows where you just kind of throw everything out the window and, and you don't have high expectations and you just you just kind of go with the moment. And I guess it, it's almost like, you know, what they talk about an athlete when they're they're in the flow, you know, and it, I think it's I think it's easier to slip into the flow if you're not trying 
to slip into it. So right. Yeah, that's the perfect example. I like how you say loaded from bear, loaded for bear. We don't say that in Texas typically. <laughs> what do you say, loaded for pig? I guess so. I guess so. <laughs> Let's translate what we're talking about here to the much more intimate craft of songwriting. Um, and and you know, because songwriting is, that's art. And art is a completely different beast. But at the same time, you do have to have some of the, the, the same parameters going into it. So how does your outlook that you just talked about affect or inform your songwriting when you sit down with a guitar and a couple of writers and you're, and you're going to start working on a new album? Yeah, it's, it's just the same with songwriting because, for instance, we could take a song of mine like Backroad Song that was my first national single and it was also my first number one song on radio. And when when I wrote that song, I didn't walk away from it and go, oh, there it is, guys. There it is. That's the number one we've been looking for. There it is. You know, like wrap that up in a bow and let's let's already start getting it, getting that plaque for the wall for that one. And in fact, I that came out first on an EP of mine that preceded the album. And there was four songs on that EP and we didn't know out of those four, which one we should go, go to radio with. And so we were just literally going down the, through our little group and everyone was voting. Backroad song was one of the four. It didn't, wasn't unanimous. It didn't win the vote unanimously. You know, there's everyone kind of had their own ideas about what would work and what wouldn't. And that's, that is that could really sums up music in general for me. It's like here it is, the number one song, and no one in our group even knew it. Barbed wire fence carving on a hillside, cutting holes in the midday sun, like a postcard framed in a windshield covered in dust. I love the rhythm of an old gray black time. Thirty three's just whistling by. Steer the wheel one handed on a two lane, hugging that line. I got the windows down, no one else around singing. And in hindsight, it's easy in hindsight to go, oh, yeah, that was that was great. That worked great. But no one knew it at the time. And so I've really adopted that into songwriting itself. And when songwriters have a tendency in a room to go, man, this is a smash. Smash, guy, look at this. Can you feel it? Oh, dude, smash. This is a freaking number one smash. Like <laughs> those kind of terms just get thrown around every day, every day. And it... Almost to a point where it's annoying. That's like let's let's be honest here, man. We're let's finish this song first before we start throwing those terms around. And that that is okay though, because in a, in a songwriting room, I think that's what keeps me going back is that chance that what if it is? What if it really is? What if this really is a, a once in a career type song? And the fact that you can't immediately tell at the beginning 
is part of that beauty, part of that excitement that you don't know. Maybe it is. Maybe it is. And I just didn't see it yet. And that's that's what keeps me going back to the table. And then you have other songs that I'm sure you have a lot of confidence in. You've got to have, a, I think, a certain amount of confidence when you release a song as a single. But I'll give you a great example. I hope this isn't a, a, a sore point, but that's why I love Dirt Roads. That's a hit. I love that song. So you, it just from you know the, the radio guy uh, perspective, it's got, it checks all the boxes and then some. It's also, to me, got that intangible sort of emotional thing. And, and the melody is great and all that. So what do you why didn't that do better do you have any idea is it yeah. is a lot of that like the game that comes into play yeah and that song just kind of floundered in the 40s you know or whatever whatever that did and um it's it is maybe maybe the part of the game maybe it's part of timing maybe it just was the wrong time you know um maybe maybe the the culture of songs around it on the chart were more relevant mm-hmm. um, to what that message needed to say. There's a, let me, I'll say this, Tom, if I knew, if I knew that answer, I'd be in a lot better <laughs> shape on picking another single, but I don't, I don't know it. And I don't, I really don't think very many people do. Um, some people could just pick more consistently than others, but no one knows exactly black and white what's going to work and not. Um, I, I look at it like this, and it's a collective work of my entire career put together. And I look at my catalog as moments in a 90-minute show. So when, when I'm writing or recording songs, I need to always be thinking about my live show because that's, that's what I love to do. That is my direct portal to the fans is that show. So I look at it as... Okay, this might not be a, a number one smash on the radio, but this is a this is a story, and that's what I that's why I love Dirt Roads for me is a moment in my set, right in the middle of the set, where it becomes a story that we could break down at the end, and I could relate life to a dirt road, how it's beat up and broken, and it's not perfect, but those are the things that make it beautiful, the unknown, and that's a moment in my set. Then I get to really have this moment with the crowd, and. Over the course of years and decades go by, you have then built this 90-minute show with these very specific moments that you could pivot around and try to grab the emotions of the listener. Midnight Milky Way through a cracked windshield The highway's never known how free this feels I learned to drive out here My grandpa let me steer I still hear Both hands on the wheel Talk to God on them We get lost on them Find their way to a rocky mountaintop on them We get stuck on them Fall in love on them Rough around the edges just like us That's why I love dirt roads Make the world turn real So feel the gravel letting go And stir it up my soul I love that take. 
How difficult is it not being on the road, not being able to get that immediate feedback? Because I'm sure how the audience reacts to a song also helps you decide what song might be good to consider as a single. How tough is it? I mean, you're great on social media, but that can't replace the energy and that instant impact of a live show, can it? No way. There's nothing that can. And I wouldn't have been able to answer that question really until this year when I know what it's like to not have those shows. And I don't know. I, 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 you know, it's a matter of when we'll be back, not if, but it's a really big deal to be disconnected as an artist, to be disconnected from the source of your energy and the source of, of the, the consumer that takes in your, your songs. So it's been difficult, and that's really putting it lightly to say that. Um, not only difficult creatively, but, you know, difficult. I had to write an email to my guys at some point, I think it was in June or July, and just say, hey, guys, the, you're no longer going to get a paycheck. Your salary will not mm-hmm. come. Um, you're going to be furloughed. And I, I remember writing that email, typing it, and just thinking, man, who would have thought? A couple years ago, if I could fast forward and look at what I'm writing to my my guys that have been so loyal to me, that have stood by my side, that have came up in the van days when we were traveling in a van, and that they they were making so little money back then, to and they've stuck with me when they could have taken any other job, and now here I am delivering this news. It's the really unthinkable in in the music world to do that. And just on a on a personal level for you, you've had just a, you know a, a terribly tough couple of years, and I'm not going to get too much into it. But that also informs your songwriting. And now you've got you know the pandemic and having to you know disappoint these these guys who I'm sure understand. But at the same time, that doesn't make it easier for you. All of this, I mean, you are an emotional kind of stew, uh, more so than maybe a lot of other artists. Um, how does that, are you seeing that uh, find its way into your music and your songs? Yeah, for sure. And maybe, uh, definitely there will be more in the future. Um, I, I just have, there's really only two choices in these kind of situations. You could just give up, really. I mean, and that that's always been a good option for me. Let's just give up. Let's just stop. Um, and, you know, that's just being honest. It's there's a lot of times that I'm like, man, you'd be a lot easier if I just stopped all this and just got a regular job. Or you can go, no, there's something bigger. There's a bigger purpose to all this. And I could choose to let this become a power for me, something that I could, I could use to uh, influence people, to help others, to create meaning, to create purpose. And then once you kind of get a little bit of a taste of that, when someone else comes to you and goes, oh my gosh, I've been going through this. And then to hear your story, it makes me believe I'm not alone and I could do it. And then inside me, there's a little light that goes, that little bitty pilot light that didn't think it was going to get any more fuel goes, wait a minute, this, I need to stay lit. This is worth it. I, and <laughs> it, it's just a little bit of motivation. And that's, that's what it's all about. And see why you're a writer. That is a, that's a great way of, of putting it. Is it harder to write deeply personal songs? Yeah, it takes me a yeah. little bit. It takes, um, sometimes it takes years. 
I didn't write a song. When I lost my dad, it was about four years before I wrote a song about it. And that's kind of mm -hmm. on par for me. It will take me a few years to kind of decompress that idea. One of the things that, that you talked about that I, I love, and I, I, again, I can relate to uh, just being in, in radio, is you talk about when you write a song, um, you like to uh, get it down, uh, record it, and then step away and go drive around and listen to it and, and, and kind of analyze it with a whole new perspective and a new set of ears. Do you still do that? And explain why you do that. Definitely. Definitely. I'm always very involved in the recording process from the very beginning of tracking instruments. Uh, I'll usually do a lot of this in, in my own house and that allows me to then take little rough mixes and go out in the truck and drive around and because it's as as we said earlier in this podcast, this is where you know music is heard best and should be consumed best. It's what we plan for is out in the environment where you're looking out of the out of a windshield uh, and listening to these songs. So I try to take these little rough mixes and take them out and test them in that environment. And sometimes you immediately get in the in the car and turn the song on. And you go, oh, this, this is a little wrong. This is wrong. It's not right. And you don't know that when you're just with some headphones in a studio. Do you have trusted people around you to uh, to also give you feedback? Well, I'd have my, my brother is my manager. So that that has always been such an interesting dynamic because he holds nothing back. You know, there's nothing there's nothing sugarcoated <laughs> when it comes to him. So he'll just be like, man, that song sucks. I don't I hate this song. And. I have to know when to fight back and say, well, great. I'm glad you have that opinion, but I actually think it's worth it. It's worth keeping on this album. And then there's, there's other times when he goes, man, this is, this is your best song ever. And I'm thinking, really? I don't like it at all. But, <laughs> but to, to, to be critical is part of the process. It really is. And, and my wife knows me that in the recording process, I'll take a song that I love and that's usually why I record it. It's almost always the reason I record it on an album is because I love it. So I love this song that I've written, and I go into the studio, and I start recording it, and I keep working on it, and I work on it more, and I more, and I start to dislike it. And then I'll get to some level of the recording process when I'll hate it. I just hate it now. I don't even want to hear it anymore. And I'm mad at myself for not seeing that it wasn't a good song. I'm mad at myself for messing up the recording so bad. And then I'll go back in and I'll tell my wife and she knows this pattern of me. I'll go back in the studio and I'll put the headphones back on and I'll slowly start chopping away something and I'll add something and take three things away and then add something else and I'll start liking it again. And then I like it more and then I get it in the mixing studio and then I get the mix back and then I'm, my hands are in the air and I love it again. Do you have an example real quick of that dynamic where your brother, uh, 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 say, hated a song and, and, and you liked it? Yeah, there's there's some on this album. There's several on this album where uh, on volume two, I'm looking at right here, Workaholic is a song Tyler loved. And he said, man, this this is an Earl Dibble song. And I was like, no way Earl's going to sing that song. That's ridiculous. There's no way Earl <laughs> could get away with singing Workaholic. It's like, no, you don't understand. I ain't a go-getter. I ain't a trendsetter. I ain't a in it to win it, trying to climb a ladder. I ain't a big fan of a yes man. But when it comes to the weekend, I'm a workaholic. Yeah, you know where I am. I'm work, work. 
tan, working on a pinch from a skull can, working hard, hardly working at all, hell I'm working up a sweat, blowing up a beach ball, break, break, break it, breaking my back, breaking out the cooler with a six pack, breaking line, fishing on a creek side, I'll be putting in overtime, I'm a workaholic. I ended up seeing his vision and then back to him. He was looking at Six String Stories going, Six String Stories is so boring. I can't stand that song. And I was like, Tyler, this is me. This is me. This is my story. I, I got to say that story. That's the story of who I am as an artist. And, and then at the in the end, we always end up meeting back in the middle. A ponytail smile, a few houses away. Had me so heartsick, first love, seventh grade. I'd write her a note, pretty words that I knew. Folded and torn up pages of college rule. It was hot and heavy, but I wasn't ready to be tied to one girl that long. She cried when I tried to move on. That's when I wrote my first song. Ooh, little moments like that. You can't freeze frame time and get them back. I never did write it down in a diary. Instead, I painted the scene with a melody. All the smiles, all the scars, every memory of broken hearts and glory. I tell them with my guitar and six string stories. It's hilarious. It said six string stories because that's one of the songs that I underline as, as one of my favorites. And I think because it sounds autobiographical, is it? Did you really write your first song because you broke a girl's heart in seventh grade? Yeah, that's it. Those are true lyrics. <laughs> well, Granger, uh, keep being complicated. You're you're a fascinating guy, man. I appreciate you taking time today. Thank you very much. Appreciate you, Tom. Thank you, buddy. Hitting me with a diamond ring. It's like that You can't freeze frame time and get them back I never did write it down in a diary But I can paint that scene with a melody All the smiles, all the scars Every memory of broken hearts Alright, that will do it for this special extra episode of the Write You a Song podcast. Thank you again to Granger Smith and don't forget Adam Hambrick is still our current guest on the December episode. And yes, next month, we are still featuring Amy Mayo. In fact, I just got done talking with her. and We discuss her incredible new book called Talking to the Sky. It's raw, it's unvarnished, it's inspirational, and it's funny as hell. And so is she. Find out in just a few weeks when the next episode of Write You a Song drops. And thanks again for listening. Merry Christmas! never did write it down in a diary Cause I could paint that scene with a melody All the smiles, all the scars Every memory of broken hearts and glory I tell them with my guitar And six-string stories yeah. A therapy and guitar And six-string stories